This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hi, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking from home with Dr. Rian Kay, a scientist at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. We'll be discussing how quickly COVID-19 spreads and possible steps to control it. Welcome, Dr. Kay. Thank you for having me here. Pleasure to be here. What's the difference between SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19? SARS-Coronavirus-2 is the virus that causes coronavirus disease, which is um, short by COVID-19. Um, I used to, uh, I have been working on HIV, um, and this is very similar to the comparison between HIV and AIDS. HIV is the virus causes AIDS. So one is the virus, the other one it refers to the disease it causes. Okay, so COVID-19 is, is the disease. Exactly. What initially happened in Wuhan that made people aware of something unusual going on? So there were 41 cases of uh, pneumonia of unknown etiology that alerted people. This is what's reported to World Health Organization, WHO, by the Wuhan Municipal Health Committee at the end of uh, December 2019. And a lot of cases were linked to the Huainan seafood market. And this later on uh, confirmed uh, this uh, pneumonia was later confirmed to be caused by the virus. And uh, in late January, it was made aware that this virus can transmit from human to human that really alerted the world, the danger of this virus. What's mathematical modeling and how is it used to figure out how a virus will spread? Um, the type of modeling we use is to use differential equations to describe how infectious disease would spread among the population over time. Um, by fitting the model to existing data, we would be able to figure out um, the parameters in the model where the model has a mechanistic description of the spread of the virus. Uh, in that case, we can use what we know pre uh, already to project what would happen in the future and how an intervention would impact on future epidemic trajectories. Uh, can you give, maybe this is too complicated, but could you give an example of what a mathematical model would look like? Sure. Um, the model we use is so-called uh, uh, SEIR, susceptible, exposed, infected, and recovered. So basically, it describes how an infected individual would uh, go from susceptible to the virus to become exposed to the virus, um, then become exposed to uh, infected, and from infected to uh, recovered individuals. Basically, we write down equations to describe how a population of individuals go through th these different stages. And that would help us to describe how the virus would spread in a population. Okay. Uh, what makes studying a newly emerging and fast-spreading disease such as COVID-19 challenging? Um, sure, there are enormous challenges um, for um, for researchers uh, from a 
uh, modeling perspective, um, the most challenging part is the limited amount of data during early outbreaks and the uncertainties in data collection. Um, this is because of many unknowns associated with the newly emerging pathogen. Um, uh, the question is really uh, what type of data we want to use and how to appropriately integrate those data based on existing knowledge. This becomes very challenging um, to, um, to model a emerging pathogen like COVID-19. Your study was about how contagious COVID-19 is and how rapidly it was spreading. How did you go about finding these things out? Yeah, that's um, a really great question. Um, I, as I mentioned, due to these uncertainties of data collection and uh, we, uh, and also a lot of complications in data collection in Wuhan, the epicenter, um, we took an uh, indirect approach. The idea is that we asked whether we can infer what was happening in Wuhan, uh, the epicenter, and the Hubei province where Wuhan is from data collected outside of Hubei. The reason why we try to use data outside of Hubei is because in Wuhan, science happens so quickly. In the beginning, we didn't know what the uh, causes of the disease was. It, take, it took a while to really to get to know this is caused by the virus, and it took a while to develop uh, diagnosis kids to uh, to detect and confirm a individual infected by the virus. And over time, quickly, the virus already um, infected a lot of people in a short period of time, and healthcare system got uh, overwhelmed. Um, and the data collected during that period when the healthcare system is overwhelmed is, uh, is hard to integrate as well. So this is why we took an indirect um, approach to use data outside the Hubei um, to infer what was going on inside the Hubei. Um, the, the, the major advantage using data collected outside the Hubei, one is that when the number of infected individuals are showing up in other provinces, um, the, we already know uh, how to diagnose those patients. Uh, and also, um, the, uh, the number of infected individuals are in general, are generally low. The healthcare system isn't that overwhelmed. And those are uh, a lot of uh, uncertainties I mentioned for data collected, uh, in Wuhan. So, um, they believe, um, using data outside for Hubei and trying to infer what was in Wuhan. Uh, minimize a lot of the biases in those uh, data collection. Um, but I want to also mention that in addition to the efforts to try to minimize biases in data, we also two different modeling approaches which constructed two different kinds of models uh, to use different aspects of the data we collected to make inferences. And interestingly, both models reached similar conclusions that the virus spreads extremely fast in Wuhan. So that adds a lot of confidence of the, um, the conclusion of our study. Again, back to your question about um, the, the challenges in understanding a rapid uh, growing 
epidemic, uh, um, we really tried to use multiple approaches to see whether we can get similar conclusions. So what were the various kinds of data that you used? Yeah, um, we collected a wide uh, variety of data sets. Uh, one key data set we want to, uh, I, I, we, uh, we collected and really want to uh, emphasize or mention to make our study reliable and interesting is that we collected very high resolution human ability data uh, from a online server called Baidu Qianxi. Basically, this server summarizes daily human travel um, between cities and provinces based on mobile phone positioning data. And I want to mention this server is, is the most widely used server in China in terms of uh, positioning services. And this really provides a high resolution understanding of travel or mobility patterns during the period when the COVID-19 spreads across all over China. Um, and we believe this data really enable us to, to infer um, the, the epidemic growth in Wuhan um, from data outside of the Wuhan and Hubei province. Um, another data set which is very unique that we collected is the travel information of uh, the first or the first few persons uh, who were confirmed of COVID-19 infection outside uh, Hubei province. Um, those information gave us an understanding or gave us an estimate of how quickly the virus spread across China. And I will mention that these, um, uh, the rate of how quickly cases show up in different provinces in China give us a hint of how quickly epidemic growth in Wuhan. So this is, this is another case that is said to be collected. Early on, you apparently gathered documents and news sources from CDC China and Chinese official websites. What did you do with this information? How did you turn it into a data set? There were enormous efforts on data collection during January. We got really interested in and thought this could be a problem. So we gathered all this information from China CDC and local health commissions uh, where they made a lot of important information public available. I, I, one thing I want to also mention that we benefited from the multicultural backgrounds of our team. Um, those information were first published in Chinese. We did a lot of data collection collection of information, translation of those information into English to be analyzed. Um, we almost get a first hand of information by directly translating those documents into English and we compile those information and we categorize each case report um, according to uh, their dates of travel to Wuhan, dates of symptom onset, hospitalization, case information, all these uh, important epidemiological um, uh, information that were uh, later on used for uh, our estimation. After you pulled all this early data and information together, what did you find? Um, we, from these extensive data sets, were able to estimate uh, several key 
epidemiological parameters, uh, including the duration of the incubation period, which is estimated according to our data set, where has a mean of the 4.2. So it's uh, roughly consistent with other studies showing the median of the incubation period of four days and a mean of the incubation Equation period between um, five to six days. Um, and importantly, I want to mention that this is during uh, uh, May and late January. Um, those, uh, the, the estimates from other studies weren't available. Um, we were able to use the estimation we have based on public uh, available data set to inform the, the mathematical model we constructed to estimate growth rates. So um, we, we were really excited about those findings to have those key parameter values estimated. So are you saying the estimated five to six day incubation period is still holding true? I think so. Um, the estimates for, uh, of, uh, of those studies all have confidence intervals. I think four to six days uh, are fall within the confidence intervals estimated across different studies. Or um, if you, if I, I think those are in general consistent with each other and hold true as for now. Well, that's good to know. That's better than 14 days, I guess. So I want to add that since you brought up, those estimates are the mean of the estimates, or uh, there's some study reported in the team. It's definitely not the, um, I think the 14 days incubation period was the upper bound, or most of the people would develop symptoms within 14 days. It's definitely not the uh, incubation period. So what we um, estimated here was a mean estimation. Were there potential problems with the early data? Yeah, one caveat, um, as pointed by one of our reviewers, is that the uh, individuals who were reported at that time are all symptomatic individuals, and many of them may have severe symptoms, and that is why they end up in hospital, um, although a lot of others are visited, uh, through uh, in transportation hubs. So there's some potential bias in terms of these estimations, which towards characteristics in uh, more severe um, to individuals having more severe symptoms. How did you estimate the growth rate of the outbreak in China in January? And tell us what an R naught is. Um, we've been hearing a lot about that in the media lately. Yeah, sure. Um, definitely. Um, let me uh, answer the question about R naught. Strictly speaking, or the formal definition of R naught is a reproductive number. It is formally defined as the uh, average number of individuals. That's the first infected individual infects when this first individual is introduced into a fully susceptible population. So I want to clarify a lot of confusions about R naught. This quantity is the average number of individuals when the first individual introduced in a fully susceptible population. Um, so uh, if we calculate how many individuals in fact during the epidemic, strictly speaking, that should be defined as effective, are effective or effective reproductive numbers. 
was not are not. So formal case should be the same uh, in number when an individual introducing a fully susceptible population is measure for transmissibility. To estimate this number, usually we would first estimate the epidemic growth rate during a very early outbreak. The, um, the assumption is really, really bad. During an early outbreak, the susceptible population is not um, depleted and the uh, growth rate should reflect the, um, the, the infection or the, the transmissibility of the virus when it is first introduced in the susceptible population. So about your second question about how did we estimate the epidemic growth rate, uh, what we did was really to, again, back to your great question about uncertainty, uh, to estimate a, a rapidly growing normal pathogen. We tried to minimize potential biases in data set and also model construction. We took two alternative approaches. The basic idea is uh, can be rooted in mathematics or physics where if the epidemic grows exponentially in Wuhan, then if we assume people traveling from Wuhan to other provinces are almost like a random draw, then how quickly will detect infected cases across different provinces would reflect how quickly epidemic grows in Wuhan. I think by collecting data of how quickly the first case showing up in each provinces and how quickly the cases showing up in these different provinces kind of inferred how quickly epidemic grows in Wuhan. And I believe there was some other evidence of growth rate, right? Yeah, um, um, absolutely. Um, this is also, I think, is uh, important in terms of uh, cross-validated our findings. We not only look for uh, for not only look for data that uh, uh, not only use the two alternative approaches to. Uh, to be sure the growth rate we estimated are accurate, we also looked at other evidence that we did not use for our model inference to confirm the conclusion from our inference. So what um, one uh, important set of data is the growth of the death count over time in late January in China. Um, we look at how quickly death count growth and uh, we realize a growth at a similar rate as we estimated uh, for the growth of the epidemic. We think this is a strong indication of the, the, the reliability of our conclusion because the growth of the death is, should reflect the growth of the epidemic with some lag is mainly because of the, the, the lag between infection and death. And, but how quickly the death growth should be roughly reflecting how quickly the infection goes uh, early on. So um, we found that the growth of the uh, death count increases rapidly at a rate similar as we estimated for the growth of the epidemic. That's one important um, data set 
um, that uh, cross-validates our finding. The other important data set was later published by China CDC. They uh, showed the epidemic curve based on symptom onset, and those curves again shows that the epidemic grows really, really fast uh, in January 2020. Okay, I realize that this is an extremely technical process, this mathematical modeling and everything you've done. So would you tell us about the implications you found for intervention strategies? Yes, sure, absolutely. Based on much higher as maybe growth rate we calculated or not has a median of 5.7, which is much higher than the previously estimated R0, which is between 2 and 3. Um, the first implication I want to mention is uh, um, the importance of the calculated value of R0 in terms of uh, herd immunity, which we heard a lot um, recently in media. We can directly calculate the herd immunity level required to stop transmission. This is calculated as 1 minus 1 over R0. Just to give you an example for R0 between 2 and 3, the uh, herd immunity threshold is between 50 to, to 60%. So we need 50 to 60% of the uh, population to be immune to the virus to stop virus transmission. But for our, our model of 5.7, this threshold um, increases to uh, 82%. So there's a much larger uh, fraction of the population needed to, um, to be either vaccinated or infected so, so that the herd immunity would uh, achieve to stop the virus transmission. Um, the other implication for such a rapid growing virus and has having such a high R0 is that we found um, if as label as 20% of transmission is driven by individuals who are not identified um, and rapidly isolated uh, and um, their contacts were uh, quarantined, um, the transformation would be extremely hard to control. We found that um, at that time, we didn't actually know how many people, uh, what's a fraction of people that are unidentified by the surveillance system. Right now, we know there are a large number of people that are not um, detected or identified by the surveillance system. So that really means uh, early, strong, uh, interventions such as social distancing is absolutely needed. Otherwise, it will be hard to control the current um, uh, technology uh, uh, with, with respect to um, contact tracing and case uh, um, isolation. I think those are the two most um, important implications of work. Let's go back over this and would you summarize for us what does your study tell us about the incubation period, the time from first symptoms to hospitalization, and how contagious the virus is? Yes, sure. Um, what we find was um, the mean incubation period has a, a mean of 4.2 days. Um, 
and uh, the time from the symptom to hospitalization is uh, is time varying. In the beginning, the time from symptom to hospitalization is relatively long. Uh, is about five to six days in the beginning. And then uh, in late January, this time becomes shorter. It only takes about one to two days uh, to get hospitalized after they develop symptoms. And for the contagiousness of the virus, we found this virus is very contagious. Uh, it's much, it spreads much quicker than um, estimated initially in the literature. How does this virus differ from the 2003 SARS virus? Great question. Uh, from our study, um, it definitely shows it is more contagious. It spreads much faster than 2003 SARS viruses. Um, I guess uh, as the epidemic goes on, we know much more about this virus now. SARS-CoV-2 can transmit asymptomatically or before symptom uh, onset. This is very different from 2003 SARS virus. And also this virus causes a wide variety of um, uh, disease severities. Some, most of people infected by the virus have no symptoms. Uh, some develop mild to severe symptoms and uh, some develop very critical conditions or even die. However, for uh, 2003 SARS viruses, um, as far as we know, most people develop very severe symptoms. And the 2003 virus is more transmissible after symptoms are developed. I know this is a, probably just a personal opinion, but do you think it's possible to contain this virus now? Uh, this is a very hard question to answer. It's really depends on the, um, the the efforts we or the control efforts that that is implemented um, in a particular area. What we found was this virus is hard to contain. Um, however, uh, examples from China, uh, South Korea, it looks like um, when strong intervention efforts are implemented for a certain period of time, they can control the virus at a low level. From my own perspective, I think it can be contained with uh, substantial control efforts for a substantial period of time. How does this study advance our public health awareness and how should it impact approaches to containment? I think what we show is the virus can spread extremely rapidly. We should really be um, prepared uh, in advance. Otherwise, when if we uh, react slowly, um, we give the virus room for to uh, spread uh, rapidly. The other implication or that we want to be aware is that given the rapid spread of this virus, uh, when we think about relaxing uh, a lot of the social distancing effort, we want to be very cautious. Uh, otherwise, the virus can uh, spread very, very quickly and revert the effort we already put in and the sacrifices we already put in to slow down the curve to to um, reduce the infection. So um, we have to be very cautious and uh, uh, given the, the high rate of spread of this virus. Tell us about your job, where you work, um, 
and how you're involved in working with this virus. Sure. I work in uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory Division. They belong to called the Theoretical Division. And the group I was working on is called Theoretical Biology and Biophysics. Uh, a major effort in this group were um, to uh, use mathematical models to uh, understand how virus spreads and how virus infects uh, individuals and what the implications of uh, drug treatment, for example. Um, and uh, um, due to the, the rich culture in this group, we, uh, I got really uh, involved in the beginning of January when this virus was first uh, identified and we paid a lot of attention to the development of this virus and we realized there's a um, potential threat to the world in, in early January. So that's how we um, got involved in working with this virus. And on a completely personal note, are you at home and what are you doing to stay positive? Yeah, um, I'm uh, working at home now to uh, reduce contact with, uh, with, with other people. Uh, I think uh, one thing keeps me positive every day is really the urgent need uh, to find solutions to the global crisis this virus causes. I think thinking, looking at the news and looking at people suffering, people's lives are lost, those Tragedy really um, kind of a, a, a huge motivation for me uh, um, to wake up every day to concentrate on work and try to contribute to the understanding and to uh, to the uh, fight of this virus. And hopefully, we get a solution to end this crisis soon. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of doing exactly that to talk with me today, Dr. K. Thank you for having me here. And thanks for joining me out there. You can read the July 2020 article, High Contagiousness and Rapid Spread of Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2 online at cdc.gov slash EID. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.